Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. Spurs' dream start to the season has been interrupted by what can only really be described as a bit of a nightmare against Chelsea. We have lost a game in rather ridiculous and dramatic circumstances. We're going to get into all the details, and joining me to do just that are the usual team of Elio Sox and Dave. Guys, welcome back for a pretty ridiculous episode. I'm sure there are a million things that we are going to get to talk about. So I'm uh, looking forward to delving into this absolute disaster with you all. Elio, welcome back, first of all. I know you had a late finish, quite tired after that ordeal, and we're at the match, of course, as you always are at home games. It's been a while since we've had this kind of experience. Not that there ever really has been an experience quite like this one. I went through a load of different emotions just watching it on TV. In a nutshell, what were your feelings from the stands watching that game, and have they changed much in the 24 hours or so that has passed since? <laughs> Not really. I'm mainly left confused confused by everything I witnessed <laughs> last night I continue yeah. to be so we started so beautifully we played them absolutely off the park for 15 minutes we took a well-deserved leave we should have been two goals ahead still not convinced that Son was offside either and then we lost our heads so and what happened happened it's definitely not one to forget much as I'd like to <laughs> Yeah, it's certainly not one that we will forget in a hurry, for sure. Socks, you've seen a lot of Spurs games in your time. Is that high up there among the craziest you've ever witnessed? Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen one quite like yeah. that, but I think that's largely because of the advent of VAR. So I think in a post-VAR world, this probably takes the cake. I mean, there were three kind of VAR decisions going on simultaneously. Red cards, no red cards, absolutely all over the shop. So, I mean, in a weird way, we were saying this before we were recording. I was talking to Dave and I just said, like, I kind of had fun in a weird way. <laughs> I didn't like the way it ended, but my overriding feeling is is one of obviously kind of sadness and despair, yeah. but I kind of strangely enjoyed it. And I don't know if that's like the Stockholm syndrome for supporting this football club speaking over 20 years and I need to see some kind of medical professional, but <laughs> I, I'm not as doom and gloom about the game itself more so than the kind of long-term implications of injuries and stuff like that, which I'm I'm sure we'll touch on. So you're a sick man to say that you enjoyed that, I have to say. But that being said, <laughs> that being said, I, I did get a strong sense that there was a very positive vibe in the crowd and slightly strangely given the final score and some of the things that happened in the game of course we are in a lot of trouble a lot of players potentially out for varying degrees of time but we'll get on to more of that in a moment Dave how happy are you that of all the teams that you've been roped into talking about every week the team is Tottenham Hotspur who are never dull are they never a dull moment at the moment is it I was um (laughs) full disclosure I didn't start watching the game shocking so I wasn't watching it but I was obviously paying attention to it and I'm obviously a member of a WhatsApp group which was rather animated throughout are we going to get some choice captions from the WhatsApp group I I, 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 I don't I can have a little sift through and see if there's anything yeah. that is actually you know PG-13 or I was going to say I'm pretty sure that'll get us cancelled <laughs> I doubt yeah. it I think there's a cancel culture <laughs> out against uh, the majority yeah. of the stuff that's in there but yeah around about 30 minutes I think my brain started saying you best put this game on. Something's happening. Something's happening. Something's happening. Uh, so yeah, I, I then I then basically watched it in my periphery for the rest of the evening. Yeah, and quite frankly, wasn't really in my periphery. I was pretty much focused on it. I think I need yeah. to rewatch the last episode of The Bear all over again. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's very much a game that will grab your full attention, isn't it? There was definitely something happening. I think we don't normally kind of lay out an agenda for all the things we're going to discuss, but just to give you some kind of a taste of all the things that we're going to have to get into to varying degrees at some point, this is a breakdown of the event. So six minutes in, we took the lead through Kudasevsky. 14 minutes was supposedly 2-0 with a goal ruled out from Son. Back to 1-0. Udogi with a flying two-footed tackle that only resulted in a yellow card 18 minutes in. Then we had the Sterling goal that was ruled out. Then we had the Casado goal that was ruled out. It was then pulled back for Romero to be sent off in the process of giving away a penalty that was scored. We then had Postacoglu booked somehow, and then 12 minutes added on. Then Van der Ven and Madison pretty much simultaneously both went off injured, and that's just half time. And then, of course, we had the Udogi sending off. We had Jackson with the first of his hat trick that some have called the worst hat trick in Premier League history. We had Dias for a goal <laughs> that was ruled out for offside. More on that in a little bit. Then we had a whole load of substitutions. We had nine men right up against it the highest line in Premier League history probably with nine men and then of course we had a couple of big chances and then the two goals that wrapped it up so an absolutely action-packed ridiculous game but let's take it right back to the start and try if we can to work our way through all of that um Elio I imagine the atmosphere was crazy I imagine it must have been really exciting up until about 16 minutes in or so watching us take that game by the scruff of the neck and at a certain point it looked like Sock's premonition of 6-0 from last week was about to come true. Ah, after the moment the first goal went in, I thought we were going to do them for six or seven. Uh, I thought it was <laughs> going to be an art of humiliation. Pochettino was going to get sacked and yeah. <laughs> we'd all gleefully shit on the metaphorical corpses of Chelsea's <laughs> season uh, from above. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, that didn't transpire to be the case. And uh, yes, metaphorical only. Not That was doing a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> But unfortunately, that did end as you rightfully said. I wouldn't say it ended at 16 minutes because we were still the better side with 10 men once our heads calmed. And until Van der Ven's injury, I very much thought we were still the more likely team to win. But mm. yeah, seeing the game ruined like that for, in my opinion, a red card, but one that you often see not given, especially when a team's wearing red or owned by an oligarch, <laughs> it, it did somewhat sour the evening prematurely. Well, we'll get on to the controversial decisions or the uh, the contentious decisions, quick question, shall we say. Quick question before we dive into anything else. Elliot, have you watched the game back or are you working on live emotion only? Live emotion only. He doesn't watch it back when we lose. Yeah, I thought I thought that might be the case. Have you have you ever watched back a loss, Elio? In its entirety. Um, I watched back the four five against Arsenal in Martignol's first official home game. Oh, fair in enough. Charge, yeah. as you know, that's a game that I missed the beginning of because of a car accident. Sat down just as Nabet was putting <laughs> a head, and I witnessed the dawn of well the next sort of 18 odd years of Spurs becoming a good side in that match. Yeah. So that is one match I did watch again, despite the defeat. Yeah. Plus nine different goal scorers in one Premier League match. That was probably the last match that was anything close to as ridiculous as this if one. If I ever get a tattoo in my life, it will be of Ledley King majestically leaping like a salmon to power in that header, <laughs> even though we lost. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it started really well. Sox 2-0, it was looking like your premonition was coming true. First of all, can we have a little bit of love for particularly that second goal, but both goals? Talk me through the first 15 minutes or so, or as Elio said, maybe the first sort of 18, 20 minutes, because 
because it all kind of started to turn sour around about the time Udogi went in for that lunge and was perhaps quite fortunate to only get a yellow card. But up until that point, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think the last few games we've had pretty slow starts. I think Fulham at home, we didn't particularly come out the traps. I think Crystal Palace wasn't that great of a game overall. And we said at the time it was kind of picked up for where the Fulham one left off. This was almost similar to what we did... I guess, away at Luton. Uh, obviously, yeah. different quality of opposition, but we started off that game, we're battering them and missed three or four sitters. Mm. You're never going to have that many early on against the team of the quality of Chelsea, even with the issues that they've got with so many new players and stuff like we discussed in the preview. But we looked very, very good and we're kind of carving them open. And like you said, like the first couple of goals, I say we had the first couple of goals, the yeah. second goal, which was the one that it was Beautiful was goal. the better move and the, and, and the one I'm almost more interested in. Like, it's such a shame. I don't care about scoring too. I just wish that one counted and the coolest FC one did it just because it would be nicer yeah. to kind of admire it, if you know what I mean. But you looked at it and at that point you thought to yourself, like, look, this isn't sustainable for sort of 45 minutes nonstop and there will come a point where they get back into this game. Yeah. And like you said, Adogi went in with a two-footed tackle. I don't know how much we need to discuss it because it was a red card that we got away with. I would I agree mean, with he that. Didn't make yeah. He didn't make contact with the player, but it's not about contact. It's about intent. If, if I throw a punch at you and I miss, the point is I've thrown a punch. <laughs> the intent is like taking a shot and I didn't kill you. And it's like, oh, no hard feelings, mate, because I missed the shot. It's like, well, no, I think the fact that you took the shot is probably the problem. I, I would say and that analogy is, is slightly harsh in that I don't think Udogi was deliberately trying to hurt anyone. I don't think it was malicious. No, but... But I, it was still a very I, I clear red card in my for eyes. For what it's worth, Raheem Sterling deserves it the little whelp I still remember what he did to Tanganga I wish that Udogi had made proper contact with him he deserves it for those playing the Plus Dave drinking game that's definitely a two finger drink with Elio bringing up a grudge from many years ago as far as I'm concerned that's my signal to be the angel on the shoulder yes. of this episode <laughs> Raheem Sterling tops Andrew Robertson in terms of nasty snidey little coward c- status <laughs> we'll get back to Sterling later Socks. <laughs> Just to bring some grace into core and back to proceedings, given we are a professional outfit. We are indeed. Yeah, I mean, it was a clear red card that we got away with. The, it's not yeah. so much about the maliciousness. They don't judge it based off of intent. It's more so the rec- Like, for example, I don't think Curtis Jones intended to hurt Basuma, but he was out of control. Hence, he got a red card. This was obviously slightly different, but not massively dissimilar in the sense that there was no malice or violence, but it was a red card all the same. We got away with it. And I think from that point, like you said, the game turned. And I think for me, this is sort of the most disappointing thing about the whole thing is that it was totally naturally unwarranted and self-inflicted. Mm. At about the 25-minute mark, Ange noticed that you could sort of sense it. Even kind of watching at home, you can sense something was happening. And Ange tried to transmit that onto the pitch. And I'm honestly, there hasn't been much discussion about it, but I'm honestly most disappointed in Sun, obviously Romero, Basuma and Madison because they're the only adults in the room and not a single one of them noticed that yeah. it was turning and said things down. tactical foul let's have a huddle everybody calm the fuck yeah. out like we're battering these lot we're better than these lot let's not let it get to our heads like we've just gotten away with our left back and one of our better plays being sent off can we calm down can we call it obviously the Romero red card happened and we can you know talk about the more detail if yeah. you want to and then the game got away from us and it was such a I've never seen a game go from such kind of like we're going to batter them this is going to be great this is going to be you know not the start of an era because we've already started pretty well but it, it kind of felt like it was going to be a high point to the utter disaster I mean it was such a all or nothing experience and it was really triggered by that challenge from Adogi. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just to correct um, myself before Sox's dad emails in again, Sterling's <laughs> challenge was on Delhi Alley. It was Robertson who did Tanganga, so I apologise. Fair enough. I think it was Jamie Carragher actually who made the point that it seemed like that Udogi tackle was the turning point in the sense that it just raised the temperature a little bit and everyone just kind of got a little bit leery after that. There were a few tussles, there were a few heavy tackles flying in and I think more importantly in terms of the path of the game, and Dave, I'm hoping this is the point at which you started to pay attention Uh, this is when the game went up a notch and Spurs didn't seem to keep their heads together there's a great tweet here from Bardi from the extra entry said if we'd kept our heads for 10 minutes in that first half we'd have battered this lot and it's hard to disagree with him based on how it unfolded after that what were your thoughts no I don't disagree I mean almost you don't have to look at the game itself you just have to look at the body of evidence that has happened before the game Chelsea are not great you know they can be got at they can be beaten they're definitely not anywhere near a finished article they're a collection of players they're not a team and you know you guys started as I would have expected you to be honest I mean obviously I wasn't on the last pod and it's probably a good thing because I would have been widely blamed for part of this uh, this result because I, I thought you were going to batter him I thought it was going to be three or four clear goals and you started as if it was going to be. There's evidence there though, Dave. I don't think that's a ridiculous thing for you to have said because there was evidence that a few sliding doors one way or another and we would have battered them. It was one of those games that just went down a ridiculous, irredeemable path. Incredible as well, by the way. Obviously, I started watching a bit later than the start of the game and I've watched highlights. I watched like two sets of highlights, but I haven't seen Son's disallowed goal. Because it didn't even make oh, the Dave, that's not What highlights were you watching? That was the goals. best moment of the game. Uh, well, Sky and True. TNT. Are there oh. others? Dave, I'm going to send you... In fact, before we even finish this episode, I am going to send you a link. So All right, and I'll, and I'll have a full comment. I, I would it. love that, yeah. But, but yeah, I do agree with everything that's been said so far from Sox. Yep. I think the Odoggy yellow was horrifically lucky, yep. if that's the right phrase. I think that's the right phrase. And yeah, I did think you know, by the time I'd started watching, it was everything was a bit frazzled and frantic and it didn't need to be. And you're absolutely right, Sox. There was a lack of a grown-up in the room in that instance. And I think that, well, let's face it, We've all known that the potential to do this, this team, you know, the moment Christian Romero is your vice captain, you're like, hmm, okay, <laughs> that's, that's quite yeah. an interesting claim. We'll see, see how that pans out. It's like, it's like when Vinnie Jones was captain of Wimbledon. He was like, well, yeah. then the entire game is a tinderbox all the time. And this was one of those days where not just one thing happened, everything happened. And, you know, you can only hope that we'll go on to the injuries and we'll talk about them, I'm sure, but you can only hope mm. that all of the bad stuff has happened. And maybe Anne just done what I, I think I almost certainly will have done to certain players and that and shoved a rocket up their ass to say, look, you guys are the senior players here. You need to know when this is happening. You need to look at me and you need to do what I tell you to do. And that is calm everybody else down because Udogi is really good player. He's probably one of the best players that you've had so far this season. Yeah. But he's also... 20. 20? Yeah. Yeah. He's 20, Van der Ven's 20. 21, Sars 20, Kulazewski's 23, Johnson's 22. That's half our outfield players, 23 or under. Then Poro 24, yeah. Romero 25, and then Madison Basuma each 27. So that is a mega young team. And all the benefit we get from having a team that young, the energy, the drive, the malleability from the manager, confidence, and sort of, I think that Dags wrote in his article the other day, Devil May Care, that does also come with the ability mm. For baby to spit out the dummy, and that is what our team collectively <laughs> did yesterday. And as Sock said, with very, very little reason to, we're winning the game. We're outplaying them. We're in absolute control, and somehow it all 
turns out of nothing into this absolute sort of petulant display, which by the time they calmed their tits and played with a bit of maturity again, unfortunately the damage mm. had been done because we were two men down, two other key players injured, and quite roundly f***ed. Yeah, it wasn't just the petulance and the scrappiness, though, for me. I think we actually started playing quite loose yeah. balls. We started being a little bit scrappy with the possession. We were hoofing it away. We were panicking They're a little overhyped. bit. It was very much the opposite of it what we've seen. It was Battle of the Bridge Part 2. It was. It was. That, that, it that's was what I said in the, the moment. I said, I'm getting It was Albany back. It was just horrible. <laughs> it, was, it was just such a bridge too childish far. display. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and uh, it was the epitome of what our manager has been the antithesis of quite frankly our manager has been graceful dignified mature mm. and very sort of level good or bad throughout his time with us so far and he was very protective of the players in front yeah. of the camera and that was because they probably needed it because i imagine like dave said he's going to have given some of them a hell of a lot worse than they're used to from him and he doesn't need the media doing that to them as well but yeah. Quite frankly, it was, it, it was, I don't even want to say I'm disappointed because, to tell you the truth, fine, it happened in the 11th game. We're going to get back to doing well again now, I'm sure of it. But it was definitely not the game you want it to happen in. You don't want your first loss of the season yeah. to come against those Kings Road bastards. You don't want to save your ex-manager's job. You don't want to ship <laughs> four at home at a game that, for some unbeknownst reason, doesn't kick off until 8 o'clock on a Monday night because apparently Liverpool looting is the centrepiece game of the weekend. Like It is just, mm. oh, I'm just so f***ing angry. I wasn't getting that vibe from you earlier. Yeah. You couldn't tell. Yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for confirming that. Um, speaking speaking of angry and speaking of loose tempers, of course, we've talked about Romero. We'll get on to him in, in just a moment. Before Romero's centrepiece incident, we had a couple of goals ruled out for Chelsea in quick succession. Sterling scored, was ruled out of a handball. I think that was a pretty clear decision. It was a little bit different to the IU one in that his hand did clearly move the path of the board. I don't think there were too many arguments about that. Caicedo's one... Just, um, just saying earlier, Dags, I think that's a lot longest I've ever seen Raheem Sterling's arms when he when he controlled that ball with his hand. They're usually really short and I didn't know he could move away like from his body. Rex, but that yeah. was all the way over there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was that was as loud. And then of course the Casado one came. And I think when both of those went in, obviously in the moment thinking they were both goals. I very much was thinking, yeah, we were asking for this. We were on the back foot. They were playing well. They looked like they were going to equalise. The Casado one was disallowed. I don't know if that was only because of the red card shout rather than sort of it being no, allowed. No, because it, it went through it Jackson's legs and Jackson was offside. Right, that's it, that's it. So obviously then it came back to the big decision that pretty much set apart for the rest of the game, which was Romero sending off. Now, we've all talked about this. I know, Sock, you and I disagree on this. I'm still of the opinion, respectfully disagreeing with a lot of people I know, that that wasn't a red card. I don't personally believe that was a foul. And I know I'm not alone in thinking that. We'll get on to discuss it. And obviously this is one of Dave's several hats in being the independent adjudicator. Elio, I don't think I got your opinion on the Romero challenge. I think it was a red. I think it's... Could okay. be argued either way for probably the reasons why you are arguing the other way, sort of got the ball, didn't seem under control. But ultimately, 
any challenge that could end up in a leg break and one where your studs go into someone's leg can always end up in a leg break is a red card as far as I'm concerned in the same way that the first doggy yellow was also a red card you may say well that's the danger in every challenge in that case no it's not it was wild in that respect he may have known what he was doing it may have been controlled but he didn't need to endanger his opponents the way he did to win that ball in my opinion and yes, yeah, I know you're going to say, well, how okay. do you stop yourself following through? You just don't take that swipe in that way in the first place. You, mm. you you don't tackle straight on, you tackle from the side. So if that was the other way around, I would have been screaming for the opposition to have a red card about it. Like I said, I accept it can be argued either way, yeah. but I didn't see it in real time because ultimately everything was going mental at that point and they were cutting in from the left constantly and taking shots or whatever. And it was just me praying that their first spell in the game would peter out but it was really really on backward view it was really really silly of him and he just didn't need to do it he's he's been so controlled and so composed this season and he he just the bed quite frankly it's quite worrying, isn't it, when the grown-up you have to turn to is Christian Romero in that kind of situation. I thought you were going to say it's um, quite worrying when the grown-up you have to turn to is Elio. It's you. Yeah, that too, that too. Well, look, in that case, I'm, I'm going to be the immature, partisan, biased one. I'm going to stick up for Romero on this occasion and let it be known that I didn't stick up for a second for Udogi and I thought he should have been sent off. But I think the two serve as quite a nice contrast and the reasons I don't think it was a foul. For me personally, I think the only thing he was particularly guilty of was tackling a little bit too hard. And I don't think a robust challenge per se is necessarily a foul. I think he was on his feet. I don't think it was a case of leading with his studs. I think his foot connects side on with the guy's leg, albeit slightly higher than ground level. I think he went clean through the ball rather than over the ball, as we've seen with the likes of Curtis Jones' challenge. And I think it's a natural follow through. I think the momentum, the trajectory of his leg was more of a swing, kicking it away. And I think sometimes in football you're going to get hurt because you're in the vicinity of people kicking out a ball I don't think it automatically means it has to be a red because there is a danger of someone being injured and I totally respect that I am probably in a minority here and there will be many people that disagree with me including Sox I assume your stance on this hasn't changed you still think before that was cuts in, I just want to say you know how much I despise Michael Oliver. I despised him before last night and I think he had a horrible game again last night. I think Michael Oliver is a crooked referee the way he referees our games. There's a consistent theme of the way he refs our games. And I also think he's a coward with the way he lets certain things go as well. So in the inconsistency shows within a game, and yeah. I'll elaborate on that later when we have the opportunity to discuss that. But Michael Oliver and any referee's first duty on the pitch before anything else is the protection of the player's safety. So if a player's safety is threatened, it's a red card. That's the last thing I'll say on it because I don't want to I'll leave Sox okay. something to say given that he's on the same side as me here. <laughs> I have nothing to say because Elio said it all. <laughs> <laughs> not for the first or last time on this show, yeah? <laughs> no, I, I mean, uh, to be fair, I, I completely agree with Elio with regards to basically everything he said. I, it, it's just a red card tackle. I mean, uh, the Curtis Jones one, which was a bit different, was a red card tackle at the time. It's not about the intent of it. it that one was slightly more kind of out of control. There was a the week before that one, I think Malagusta got one for a similar thing where he kind of went straight on and he won the ball and he wasn't really going studs up or anything, but it was the follow through that was dangerous. The reality was it was just a bit too reckless. And like Elio said, he was endangering the opposition. And the reality of it is, is that even if it's a slightly harsh red card, yeah. let's just say for the sake of argument, and we're on is that, yeah, let's call it an orange or whatever, just yeah. hypothetically speaking, this is now 
really annoying with Romero. Like this is, I think with stuff like this, I'm always hesitant to blame the referee because in the long term, Romero continuously getting set off will cost us way more than the odd refereeing decision that goes against us, in my opinion. You now have somebody who has been exceptional for his first 10 and a bit games that will now miss the next three. Mm. And then we're assuming he's going to come back, no injuries. And you lose that game mostly because he loses his head, right? Like the Adogi thing, obviously, is what sparked it off. But we got away with that one. We shouldn't have, but we got away with that one. You, you know, we got away the Lewis Diaz one. You take whatever you can get. For me, I, I don't really mm. care if it was slightly harsh or whatever. I think it's a red. But you now have somebody that is... We knew he was kind of unreliable, but the first 10 games made you think to yourself, do you know what? Maybe there's kind of like a turning of a corner here because it wasn't yeah. just how well he was playing. He looked calmer. Like he hasn't done anything stupid, really. In any game he's played this season, he's been completely mm. dependable in the way that he's played. Even in the Arsenal game, he was unlucky with a handball and unlucky with the own goal. So if that's a bad performance, I thought he played really well that game. I'm more pissed off with him than the red card decision because it was ultimately... Yeah. I know it's kind of like we win together, we lose together, but I'm yeah. not the manager. I don't have to say that shit. It was him that ultimately pushed us the game more so than anybody else. And he is now on, I think it's his, his fourth red card for us in three years. People, I say people, Elio will know about my absolute love for Lenny King. And people have been comparing Romero to someone like Lenny King for two, three years. Lenny King played over 300 games for us. Red cards, grand total of f- or mm. zero. Yeah, I can barely none. Can remember him getting yellow cards and never mind red cards. And- I think his yellow mm. cards were in single I digits mean- or something, like not fit to lace his boots. And I don't want to go too in on Romero, but this is what, you know, I'm going to Elio's side of the shoulder now. My, my devil horns are starting <laughs> to hit. Every, everything is like, things feel very fiery and hot where I'm at right now. But yeah. it's just so, we're talking about it being self-inflicted, completely unnecessary. There is no other top centre-back in the world that does this. It's not Ruben Diaz. It's not Van Dijk. I know Van Dijk got sent off against Newcastle, but whatever. Sergio Ramos used to do it. Right, but Sergio Ramos has like 400 European Cups to his name. And <laughs> yeah. I don't care that he got sent off 30 times. If, if I know Romero's got a World Cup to his name, fine, yeah. but it's, there's a difference in the level. Saliba or Arsenal doesn't do it. Mm. If this is our best centre-back and we are comparing us pound for pound to the other best centre-backs in the league, which is what we regularly do with Romero, then yeah. it just simply isn't acceptable and he needs to be criticised for it. I do agree with yeah. that. I will give some defence now of Romero while agreeing with everything you said. The one defence I'll give is I don't think we should immediately say, oh, this is Romero, he's a wilds man, because this has happened yeah. now after 10 games where we scored. I think what I'd say is there was the Romero we had for the past couple of years that definitely was capable of far more of this than you'd like. And it's going to take more than the first few months of a new system, new style, new way of being managed for that to just completely get ironed out. What I'm saying is I don't think we should lose faith that long-term Romero is going to keep doing this over and over and over again because it takes time to relearn. It takes time to unlearn. And we're talking about something that's far more about his personality than it is about any footballing technique or skill so therefore it's going to take more than 10 games and, and maybe Ange won't have even had the opportunity to really work with him on that aspect of his game because he hasn't had an opportunity to see it now now that it's happened and it's affected mm. him and he has a case in point that he can actually slap Romero around the face and say you let us down here and you're meant to be one of the main men now yeah. Now that that's there, I trust Ange, based on everything we've seen of Postacoglu so far, based on how clearly good a man-manager, how good a communicator he is, most importantly, I trust him. Well, 
if he can't get the best out of Romero and mitigate the worst, then I don't think anyone can. So my faith in our yeah. manager is more why I'm saying this than anything else. So yes, Romero yeah. will now have to start re-earning that trust again from us as supporters. He doesn't need to do it from Postacoglu, but he does need to do it from us as supporters again. But I don't see a reason to think he won't do that yet. I think that's probably why I'm so far in denial in trying to defend him. I think it's just so hard to take that he's gone back to the Romero we thought we'd move past. So maybe that's why I'm still trying to look on the light side of that particular incident. But I definitely take all your points there. And it wasn't pretty one way or another. I don't think it helped the fact that moments before he had kind of petulantly kicked out another player and got away with that. And the fact that he obviously has the reputation that he has. I think any benefit of the doubt the referee and the VAR were going to give to him in that moment were probably all but obliterated by the time that went to the screens. Uh, Dave, you've been sitting there quietly. I assume you've seen this. Your opinion? Well, firstly, the petulant kick. Yeah. Was that a red? I mean... It was a red for Beckham. It was a red for Beckham. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, that, that was... It was almost a precursor, wasn't it? It was like an amuse boost to what was to come. I'm not going to go any more into Romero, the man, so to speak, because I think, you know... The guys have said it all, and, and ultimately, I'm, I'm of the opinion, well, what did you expect? It's almost like if I leave my kids for 10 minutes at a time, yeah, the first nine times, maybe they're all right, but the 10th time, walls are covered in felt pen. Am I mad at the kids? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, probably not that mad. Um, but what I am interested in is I'm quite torn about the whole situation about VAR, because obviously, if it wasn't offside, it'd have been a goal. If it had been a goal, would Romero not have been red carded? I think Romero would have still been red carded. My understanding is that the it dangerous tackle would have still been looked at regardless, but the goal given and yeah. him and, sent and, off. And the reason that he got a red card was obviously for you know dangerous. Yeah, play. it wasn't for giving away so a penalty. It, it was for dangerous card play. anyway. Exactly. It, would, it, would, it wouldn't, it wouldn't yeah. have been anywhere. So it's not like a double jeopardy thing because I always yeah, find it no. a bit a bit harsh when you get red carded and a penalty. It's, it is a bit of a, 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 bit <laughs> double of a, whammy, a brutal isn't it? double whammy, isn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can't really add, add, add more to it other than the fact that it, it looked like a penalty. I'm not surprised it was given as a penalty. If it had been a Chelsea player on your team, you would have definitely wanted a penalty. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, just fair enough. Those. Well, it was already an absolutely bizarre match by this point. You thought it couldn't get much wilder, but I think from that stage on, it only started to get even more ridiculous with the way we insisted on playing. And obviously we had to make a couple of changes to adjust. So obviously Romero came off. We had to make some changes. Bayer initially came on for Johnson and then it was Emerson came on for Van der Ven when he pulled the hamstring at the same time that Hoiberg came on for Madison, which was, I think, around the stroke of halftime. So the the Dyer on for Johnson was as a response to the Romero red card. That's right. So obviously at that point... I think if you you have the obvious comparison of Liverpool a few weeks ago against us, where you know, they were still kind of trying to play the game at 10 men, but then at nine men, they very much part the bus, as a lot of teams would do, whether they're favourites or not. We did pretty much the precise opposite. What did you guys think, <laughs> both in terms of how it played out and also sort of philosophically and whether or not it was any kind of a surprise? What did you make of the way we decided to approach life with nine men on the pitch? I loved it. I absolutely loved it because... <laughs> Well, a couple of points. First of all, the whole sitting back, absorbing pressure more often than not still bites you in the arse and you end up conceding. And then you have to open up and try and expand when you're behind as opposed to level. So might as well just go for it when you're still level and the other team are themselves trying to get in behind you and score. But 
it sends a really, really good message. The message it sends is you can try whatever you want. You can defend however you want. You can attack however you want against us. This is how we play. This is how we're going to play. And any team that tries to play against us and give us space and be attacking against us are in danger of us embarrassing mm. them. That is the message it sent. And the fact is that with nine men on the pitch, we had a goal disallowed by centimetres. It probably was offside, but still by centimetres. And a great goal at that. We had a couple of absolutely superb chances, both Bentoncourt, basically Bentoncourt can decide Mm. which appendage to use. And Son wasn't quite as clinical as he has been all season. Otherwise, we're going level. So I I really, really Mm. don't think... We can criticise Postacoglu for wanting to go for it and keep playing our way because it's going to make teams think, oh my God, with 11 men, what are they going to do when we try and open up and play against them? It works psychologically as much as anything else. Yeah. Sox, in terms of playing that high, in terms of that kind of unconditional insistence on, you know, this is how we play, as Ange said after the game, we'll be down to five and you'll still see that from us, mate. You know, that, that kind of mentality. Do you think there's a limit on that? Is there a point where you'll lose patience? Obviously, if we do it three games in a row and we lose, you'll lose patience. But are you happy with that sort of unconditional approach or do you want to see proof that he has the capacity to drop deep at times? I mean, five words... To dare <laughs> is to do. That's the answer to that question. That's the short answer. The long answer is is that I don't think it requires any kind of forensic analysis because when we played 11 versus 11 and we played that high line, it's been absolutely fine. 9 versus 11, if Andrew's here for another four years, I wager we will not see us go 9 versus 11 yep. one more time or at least not more than once. So it doesn't bear any kind. I think Elliot just touched upon it. The long-term implication and the psychological kind of message that you're sending out to our fans, but there was just a sense of like, f*** me, this is Tottenham. Like this is this is the batshit crazy, all-out attack, kamikaze, suicidal football club I've always kind of wanted us to be. I think once you've gone down to nine men, you've lost. So you either lose with style and you lose going your way or you lose defending and playing shit boring football. And the last five years, I've seen us play shit boring football play 11 versus 11 and not be able to defend. So the idea that we would go 9 versus 11 with a team that hasn't been coached to play defensively since about March and somehow keep them out is nonsensical. So I think the long-term implications of sending that message and saying, if there was any player in there that still had any shred of doubt about Ange at all or any fan that had any shred of doubt when he says, we are playing this way no matter what, there's nobody having that doubt now. So that game was done the second we went down to nine. I said at the beginning of this, I found it a lot of fun. And I I loved in a way that we, I didn't love that this happened. I didn't love the result for what it was, but I love that we responded in that way. And look, Benton Corse stoops a little bit lower or, or Eric Dyer is two inches slightly further behind. And all of a sudden it's that fine line between madness and genius. So just because it didn't work, it doesn't mean it was wrong to try it. Speaking of Eric Dyer, obviously he was one of the guys who came on when we had to make those changes and he had his work cut out. He's not really played all season. He's been much derided by our fans. And I think it's fair to say he's not really suited to a high line. I think generally he's not the quickest for all his strengths he does have. What do you guys think about the prospects of 
as we, we know we're going to have to face, of having Eric Dyer in the team for a few games, given that we're clearly not going to compromise on the way we play, do you think he can adjust to it? And do you think there's anything we can do about it to make sure it doesn't cost us too much? I don't think Eric Dyer coming in for Romero is the worrying parts based on the role that Romero's played yeah. so far this season. I think Neradai coming in for Romero and Van der Ven's pace not being next to him is the worrying bit. So then you just have to think about what options we have to mitigate that. And there aren't many. Sox called it very early on that Van der Ven has defaults become our most important or most irreplaceable player. And that is the reality we're dealing with it now. So uh, get the popcorn out. I'm interested to see what Pochettino uh, Postacoglu does. That was a Freudian slip <laughs> if ever there was one. Um, because yeah. you know what? The managers earned our trusts already that he can figure this out. And I have faith that he will. It may be the blooding of a young Ashley Phillips. It may be asking our sort of next quickest sort of available player of a semi-decent height to fill in. That's Emerson, which is what he did for a little bit yesterday. A few more days training in that position, he might be better at it. Who knows? They might just decide Son's our fastest remaining outfield player and put him at centre-back. We'd all pay to see that. They put Vicario since back after his sweeper keeper job. I reckon he could do a job, mm-hmm. but Forster in goal and then Chuck Vicario in there. <laughs> so I think at about 55 minutes after a ridiculous 12 added on, or actually probably a fair 12 added on, we saw Van der Ven and Madison both go down injured and come off in quick succession. Madison looks like it was a precaution. I think Andrew's comments have suggested that he should hopefully be fine. He may even be back for the next game, so fingers crossed there. Van der Ven looked nasty, didn't it? I think we were all fearing the worst when we saw him limping off. It was one that definitely scared us. No news just yet, but Sox, how pivotal could that injury be for the rest of our season? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like Elio just said, I mean, we've been talking about him being pivotal to the way we play. The answer to your question is massive, obviously, Mm -hmm. just by virtue of the fact that we spoke about it last week. We have no replacement. There is no like for like. We know now beyond a reasonable doubt that Ange is not going to alter the way he plays. So we will now be playing a higher line with 11 versus 11, but without anybody with significant recovery pace. Even if Ashley Phillips play, and and for what it's worth, he's been pulled out of the youth team that he was due to play in tonight to train with the first team. So if that's an indicator of him at least being on the... Or that is rather an indicator of him at least being involved in first team training for this week, whether he starts or not, I do not know. I don't know anything about him in terms of pace, but if it's not him, it will either be one of Ben Davis or Emerson Royale, presumably, none of whom are, are blessed with particularly sort of brisk speed or anything like that. So... The reality of the situation is, is we have been left here by our own negligence, which we called out at the time because of the summer transfer window. And now we must suffer the consequences. And we know that mm. Ange is not going to change. And I will not blame him for that because the work should have been done in the summer. Everybody foresaw this. I, I wasn't saying anything particularly revelatory when I said the player that we have absolutely zero cover for whatsoever is our most important player by default. It was an obvious statement to make. and I'm not the only one who could have said it. And to lose both him and Romero, obviously Romero's only going to be three games. Van der Ven will be will be lucky if it's three months, to be totally honest with you. Pretty much simultaneously is an absolute signal. And I, I don't I don't have any good news and I don't have any good answer. I think it's just objectively yeah. shit. And we are just going to... Uh, look, I, I don't want to be too much of a downer on what has already been a pretty not pleasant podcast. Bearing in mind, I mean, we've just lost 4-1 at home to Chelsea. It wasn't yeah. going to be sunshine and rainbows and butterflies. But we are probably now going to have a two, three month period where it's going to be a bit shit. And I think it's going to be a pretty bumpy ride until January where we can fix the problem that we should have fixed in the summer. I think it's probably what's going to happen. But let's wait and see a game at a time. How tall is Ryan Sessignon? 
if he ever gets fit. <laughs> I forgot he played for us, to be honest. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced he ever did play for us. I feel like it might have been some kind of bad dream. Well, I was going to. Well, I've said it before and I'll say it again, Doug. Yeah. We'll still take Ryan Sassignon, by the way. We still need oh, a last, I mean, The last guy you took from us is doing quite well. He's your new favourite player, isn't he, Rodon? He's doing fine. Well, yeah, Spence as well, but he's not. He's uh, he's injured at the moment, but we're basically waiting for him to get back. As far as Van der Ven goes, I must start this by saying I am in no way a doctor or any kind of medical professional or physio, but my very short Googling research has led me to understand that there are different grades of hamstring tear that can range from a couple of weeks to, well, I mean, if it's a tendon injury, it could be six months. He could be out for the season. It's not ruled it out, but then Pedro Neto pulled up with something that looked very, very similar. He basically had to be carried off the pitch a couple of weeks ago and he was back after a week. And so it's not necessarily the end of his season, but we're obviously all waiting to see what happens there with Van der Ven and of course Madison, who's hopefully fine. Second half was a little bit mad. So obviously we had to change our shape a little bit, but I think it's fair to say in a nutshell when going over the whole second half, really commendable that the nine men did as well as they did in the circumstances, but the way they were asked to play, you can't really ask for too much more than the guys who were left in the pitch, can you? Not really, no. I mean, you had midfielder at centre-back, right-back at yeah. left-back. You had <laughs> Oliver Skippon just charging around, trying to make himself felt in any way he could. It was it was the definition of a mishmash team. What was Harry Redknapp's beloved phrase, bare bones? And, and I, th- I think mm. they did themselves justice in a situation that they shouldn't have been in. Funny thing is, had we had the freedom of being able to use our subs as we wanted, no red cards, no injuries, there were players who were not playing particularly well, or at least exposing us more, like like Poro, for instance, I thought Poro was looking quite weak first half, for instance, who probably would have got the hook to reorganise in a different way. So I think the same players would have ended up on the pitch had it not been for so many disasters striking. It would have just been in a far more organised and pre-planned way. Yeah, I will say one thing. Benton Court, we've talked about Dyer as well, and he did very well. Benton Court, once again, does not look like a man who's been out for ages. And especially with Basuma's... Mm dip in form and I think Basuma has been rubbish since his suspension I would not be against seeing Benton Core brought back in from the start in Basuma's stead against Wolves on Saturday well, we'll get on to talk about the potential lineup against Wolves. So I think it's a bit of a, a puzzle, if nothing else, to figure out who we even have available and how we can piece them together. So we'll get into that in a little bit, but that's that's interesting fact we're in for sure. I think, as you touched on earlier, Elio, there were definitely a few moments that I suppose vindicated Ange's game plan, and we definitely had our chances. You mentioned Son's chance, you mentioned Benton Kerr's chance. Dave, did you get a glimpse of any of those? Because some of the highlights that I've watched conveniently left out a few of our big chances, and also the disallowed goal from Eric Dyer, which was a wonderful finish. And it would have been a yeah, nice little a fairy tale for a man who's not had it so easy in his first game in a while. What do you make of that goal or non-goal? Well, is there an argument that it comes off the Chelsea head and that it that's, potentially that's isn't actually offside? That's where I was going to go, Dave. Um, but, no. um, but yeah, a hell of a finish. And what's testament to the team? You know, you guys have already said it all and I don't want to blow more smoke up Tottenham's arse. Um, <laughs> but... It's great. It's great. You want this to happen. Yeah. I remember, I, uh, sorry to bring it all back to Leeds, but I'm, I'm oh, pretty sure what my job yeah. is here. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we had a situation where we, I mean, it was only one red card, but we were, I think we were playing Forest in the championship and we were 2-0 down and then we got a man sent off and we went 3-2 up. 
because that's just the way that you play it. And it actually jars with the other opposition team. And it still it will still jar. You know, this isn't like a, oh, this is how Postacoglu plays, this is how it's going to be. You know, every time you go down to 10, you're going to scare the life out of a team because you're not going to change, because everybody changes. But, mm. but Postacoglu seems to be built in the same way that Bielsa was in the sense that, you know, if plan A doesn't work, do plan A better. And if that doesn't work, do plan A better. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. That is our mantra. That is where we're going to do. And that brought about the chances that yeah. you had. And, you know, well, it was a great finish by Dyer. Unfortunately, it was called offside and it was called offside. So that's that. But yeah, the Benton Co chance, as Elio quite rightly said, you know, if he'd have committed to his head or his knee, I think you'd have been back in the game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a great quote I saw on Twitter that Elio would probably appreciate. It was better to die on the halfway line than to live in your own penalty area. I like that. Well, Sons <laughs> gave um, us five words. I'll give us three exact same words, but in mm-hmm. non-stupid form. Adere est facere. Very good. And I will assume well, that that is the correct pronunciation, of course. <laughs> I know, Elio, you've studied Latin in your time, so uh, I'll take your word for that. Uh, while we're on all the various decisions and things, there were actually a couple of potential shouts for Chelsea red cards, just to go over those quickly. One was an elbow by Reese James, which didn't get too much attention, just because I think it was low down in the pecking order amongst all the It was right the in front of me. It wasn't, I didn't think it was. It was it wasn't I didn't think that it. was a red, no. I feel like Reese James, just on that point, I feel like Reese James is... He's so placid. How could he possibly ever elbow anybody? He's just, he's, oh, sure. He's like the most placid Chelsea player I've ever known. You know, he's usually, I'm expecting Jody Morris and Dennis Wise, and I get and I get Reese James just with his <laughs> expressionless face. Oh, I'm playing football. Am I cool? Great. All right, I'll just get a crack on then, shall I? I'm world-class right-back. Great. Awesome. Romero has a fairly expressionless face, but it's like the cold psychopath look where you just don't know what he's thinking until he snaps your leg in half. So yeah, I don't that, think that's anything to go that's by. That's a difference. Too. There's a difference yeah, there. Exactly. The other one, which didn't get much attention, was Sterling, who I think made two pretty bad dives in the box. There was one that he didn't get a yellow for, which I was shocked by. And there was another one, I think, a little earlier that he might have been booked for. Clutching at straws now here, but <laughs> tell you, you mentioned Sterling earlier. I'll give you a little window to have another stab at him. I mean, I haven't seen the game back. <laughs> Just because I enjoyed it so much the first time. Because, you know, but my natural instinct to say is Sterling can f*** off. He's a cunt. He lets England down on the biggest stage time and time again. He is a very good footballer, but an inept and cowardly human being who tries to injure opponents on a regular basis. And I do not like him. Wasn't Sterling our, wasn't Sterling England's player of the tournament at the Euros last? <laughs> okay, I was about cool. to say, had Kane squared to him in that infamous game, he would have missed anyway. Had Sterling not been offside, Kane would have squared exactly, him. Exactly, yeah. And even if he wasn't, he'd have, he'd have probably skied it anyway. 400 grand started, a week and you still can't time a run, you little shit. Him. Go f*** yourself. It, it didn't help that his face came up on the Gillette advert at half-time on Sky Sports either, just to rub something. I'm going to get really Elio way. for Christmas, like a custom-made mosaic that's just got like a picture of Sean Longstaff, Raheem Sterling, Joey Barton. Joey Barton. Gary Neville, don't forget Gary. I don't actually Gary dislike Neville. Sean Longstaff yeah. for the records. No, no. Joey Barton, incidentally, who actually tweeted that we all lost our heads. And I was thinking, God, if Joey Barton's saying that, you know, you've got... I mean, what, <laughs> like a diamond in Joey yeah. Barton, the guy who puts a cigarette out in a kid's eye. Seriously, Joey Barton is the prime example yeah, that, of that Joey why Barton. abortion should be allowed after birth. He is... <laughs> He is not a good human. He is a thug. He has no place in civilized society. We're, we're talking about a convicted assault criminal here. 
We're talking about someone who should have had his career taken away from him for his behaviour. What right does he have to even fart in the same atmosphere as the rest of us? Never mind talk about my club. Go fuck yourself, Jim. That's so unnecessary. I'm sorry, guys. I brought that one on us. I, I, I knew, what I, I, knew no. what I was doing. I should have known better than to mention that name. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm slowly discovering just a bunch of trigger words I can just... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It always reminds it's me of like the Winter Joey Soldier. Biden. Yeah, it's the Winter Soldier. Yeah, just, just, just sitting there, it's like... Barton, Longstaff. No problem with Neville, John Longstaff. Grealish. Sterling. Sean Longstaff seems like a very nice man. Moving on, shall we? just we? set up a picture of Dre Bryden. Moving so. on. So I'm, I'm going to conveniently ignore the hat-trick that Nicholas Jackson scored because I, I think, as I said earlier, it's probably the worst hat-trick in Premier League history and it was pretty much... Uh, it was a bit like that Michael Owen scoring against a 13-year-old goalie. Not to criticise our actual goalie, <laughs> who, to be fair to him... And this is a bit of a bold claim, but I think he was an argument for man of the match, which I don't think has ever been said about a goalkeeper that's conceded four goals. Vicario was magnificent. Am I right? Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, I don't think that's a bold claim at all. I think he was absolutely man of the match. This was a game where he, I think, announced himself to absolutely everybody else because we internally have been looking at it and going, outside of a shaky debut against Brentford, I think it's fair Mm -hmm. to say, where he didn't do too much wrong, but just looked a bit nervy. He's been pretty solid since then without making... The, The best thing you can say about him is that we're not really thinking about him anymore because he just does his job with complete aplomb and just kind of goes about it. And, and that's the kind of best thing you want to say for your goalkeeper. Obviously, when we play the way that we played last night... Oh, we were thinking about him think last about night. Him. You definitely were, you're definitely <laughs> thinking about him when he sprints out 40 yards to slide in and clear the ball. You're definitely thinking I'm about already him wondering when it's were. going to be appropriate to proclaim him the best Spurs goalkeeper I've seen. And <laughs> I absolutely adore Hugo Lloris and think that yep. he is criminally underrated on the whole, not just by football generally, but by Spurs fans. I think Vicario, if he keeps this up, then give it a couple of years and we'll be calling him the best goalkeeper of our lifetimes at Spurs by a country mile. I would not bet against that. I, I said about three quarters of the way through the game, if we somehow come out of this without losing, I want a statue of Vicario built outside the stadium. <laughs> um, I said, I'm going to move over the goals because uh, who really cares about Chelsea's goals? I think we went for it. We didn't take our chances and they came and did what they should have done way sooner. But I will say this, Ange's interview afterwards was the absolute antithesis of what we've seen recently from the likes of Klopp and Artessa. Dignified, classy, could have thrown his toys out of the pram. But I guess the only thing he really criticised was the whole concept of VAR on the whole, wasn't it really, rather than any specific application of it. So well done to Big Ange there. Moving on to the next game very quickly. I don't really want to spend too much time previewing the Wolves game itself because I think we had to talk about this game in a lot of detail. There were so many things to say. But one of the main talking points of this game is how it's left us going forward, not just for this game, of course, but for the next few games. And it's pretty difficult to actually work out what our team is going to look like or what it should look like. And there's no obvious solution. So in terms of the back four, what do you guys think is the most likely that we're going to see? And do you have any kind of hot takes for what you'd like to see? If Davies is fit, then we're going to see Darren Emerson at centre-back. If Davies is not fit, yeah. we're going to see Dyer and, God, Hoybier maybe? Dyer and, and Phillips. You see there? I would not want yeah. to see Hoybier there, no. Uh, I think no. in desperate circumstances, fine, but... I think, yeah, it all depends on whether Davies fit. I mean, I don't know, Sock might think differently. might think it's going to be Davies and Zyra at centre-back and Emerson left-back even or something like that. Who knows? But I think suffice to say it's yeah. going to be interesting. I personally would love to see what our 
18-year-old centre-back can do. It's a no-lose situation for him because no one will expect him to come in and be the finished article. Mm. He's not going to be expected to come in and be the reincarnate of Ledley King. He's just going to be expected to come in and plug a hole. So the only way is up from that. And if he does anything remotely solid for that game, then that could be the beginning of a good young player's career. Players need chances. Glenn Hoddle got his chance because Spurs great Mm. Cyril Knowles got a career-ending injury. I mean, this is is where greatness comes from. Well, I assume at least he must be quick. Maybe I'm just saying that because he's young, but I hope he's at least quick, so that will work. And he probably wouldn't have been signed. He's He's six for uh, six or something. He is... Yeah, maybe he could be another Van der Ven, let's hope. Um, what I will say is the under-21s were playing this evening and he was left out of the team for that, which could be telling. It doesn't necessarily mean he'll start, but you imagine he'll be in the squad, so we might see a bit of him at some point in that game. So, any thoughts on how back four or how the team in general should line up or what you want to see? I agree with Elio. I mean, I think at least two pick themselves in Poro and Dyer, and then the rest yeah. will come down to who will play in the other two. I don't. I think it's more likely, I think Davis left centre-back, Emerson left-back. The only surprise he can spring, yeah, assuming he is, I I think the understanding is that he will probably be fit. It's just been a small thing. It's been keeping him out, but he should be fine for Wolves. Mm. So I think the only thing that Ange can throw that will surprise us is if he just chucks Phillips straight in there. I don't know if uh, we've we've spoken in the past, I think with youth players, there's always the risk that you are doing psychological damage to them, especially for any kind of like televised game, whatever, on your debut when there's going to be a lot of pressure and you're walking into what will already be a makeshift defence alongside Eric Dyer and Lord knows who else. But yeah, I trust Andrew's judgment. I mean, he's the one that's seeing these guys in training. So if he starts and he thinks he's ready, then he thinks he's ready. And therefore, I think he's ready. But I suspect mm. it will be... Look, we just had a game where the children let us down <laughs> and everybody kind of lost their heads. I wouldn't mind seeing, for, for all their flaws and for as much as we criticise them, and not unjustifiably, Ben Davis, Steady Eddie, Hoiberg, Steady Eddie. I, I agree with Elio earlier about Basuma not being, he's been just completely sh- since his return from suspension. I wouldn't mind just seeing some cool heads that might be not as technically brilliant to steady the ship in this game. And maybe mm. that's an overcorrection, and I'm trying to kind of go too far in the opposite direction, given what we've just seen, but I, I wouldn't necessarily mind seeing that on Saturday. I would say an element of overcorrection just because what we don't want, I think, to lose is the things that make us really, really great, especially against a team that are eminently beatable. So what we don't want to lose is the players that help us control games and attack we're already going to be without Madison in all likelihood as well. So I think if we mm. lose Basuma, I want it to be Bentoncourt, not Hoyer, for instance, because I want it to be a dynamic player who can run the show and set the pace of a game, which I like Hoyer actually more than most Spurs fans do probably, but because not many Spurs fans like him, mm. but I don't think he's <laughs> that guy. I think that at centre-back, yeah a mature head, an adult in the room, to use your favourite phrase of recent times, is probably necessary. But in midfields, we're going to have to mitigate the loss of our most creative and the league's most creative player for however much time. So I I want it to be a brave choice in midfield, even if in defence we have to go a little bit clever. Is that a salsa? Is that the brave choice? I I think Benson Coe is a more creative player than Giovanni Lo at least in this league. Mm -hmm. Well, the brave choices could Kulusevski. I did say that on Twitter actually earlier. I said that I wouldn't mind seeing Kulusevski move inside, Brennan Johnson on the right and Hill on the left. Problem is, then you've got no bench. Sure. 
yeah there's no perfect solution is there i think it's really interesting to see what actually does happen obviously it will all hinge on what the state of our team is after the medical guys have had a look and you know who knows maybe madison will be back in time for wolves we'll see before we look to wrap things up dave i've sent you the son second goal i don't think we got your thoughts on it i'd I'd love to hear your thoughts because for me that was the peak that was the moment where i was sitting there thinking hang on a minute Maybe, maybe we actually are going to do it. Maybe we are going to win the league. Maybe we are going to win six now. Sorry, you're not getting anything from me. Was that <laughs> offside twice? I think <laughs> it was barely offside, Dave. Barely offside. Beautiful. Well, what, what, what do you mean barely offside? It was barely murder. <laughs> what you mean, Romero? Dead, right. Yeah? <laughs> All right, Dave. I suppose I'm not going to get anything out of you for that. Well, I enjoyed it anyway. Just a couple of great quotes. This one from Alex Barker from TIFO, aka Euro Expert. He goes, This Spurs game is like waking up, having a lovely breakfast, getting ready for your day, walking outside, and then falling into a sinkhole, which leads into a volcano. <laughs> I thought that was pretty accurate there. And one final quote to end on, which I think most Spurs fans will know or should know. And I think never has it been quite as accurate to describe the way we've approached a game or a situation as it was for this. And it is from the great Bill Nicholson, who famously said, it is better to fail aiming high than succeed aiming low. And we of Spurs have set our sights very high, so high in fact that even failure will have in it an echo of glory. The legendary quote there that I'm sure many of you have heard before. I think that is probably as true now as it ever has been. And I think that was definitely reflected in the crowd. And it's just bizarre to me that we've lost 4-1 to Chelsea. We've lost to Pochettino. We've lost half our team. And somehow there's just this overwhelming, lingering sense of positivity and optimism and pride in the team. And it just seems a million miles away from where we were not that long ago. Guys, that's true. Any closing thoughts before we finish things up? Joey Barton is a massive, massive bellend. (laughs) (laughs) Raheem Sterling is an absolute cockwomble, but Michael Oliver is worse than both those things because he's a cheat and a coward. I think it's not all doom and gloom, as you rightly say. I don't stand (laughs) with Elio. (laughs) I would ask you to elaborate, but I'm scared where that would go. Let's just draw a line under that, shall we, Dave? (laughs) I take a leaf out of the great Marcelo Bielsa's book when I say referees do a hard job and I'll leave it there. There we go. Sock, I'll give you the glory and the honour of having the closing statement here before we finish things up. No pressure. I was hoping you weren't coming to me because I couldn't <laughs> think of anything whatsoever. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> so, that will follow up that. Are you, what, what are your overall feelings? I'll ask you this. What are your overall feelings despite, you know, all the drama and all news. the disaster? I have some incredible breaking news. Yeah. Nuno Espirito Santo has been sacked by Al Itihad. <laughs> oh, I got my hopes oh my up. Well, this changes know. everything <laughs> on the ease of us playing Wolves as well the Nuno Derby can you believe it <laughs> yeah 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 I don't know why at 20 to 10 on a Tuesday night I thought that was going to be an update on Van Der Ven's condition I don't know why you got that in my head but you've got my hopes up for very little yeah, that's, uh, that's quite cool um, so socks. what I will ask you is with all the disaster all the stuff that's happened losing and everything that went with it and the injuries and the suspensions it would be easy to feel very bleak, but how are you feeling on the whole, on balance right now? I think we're fucked for the foreseeable one to January. <laughs> <laughs> that was your window to say, on actually, balance. Yeah, I, I think we're going to find a... Merry Christmas, the everybody. The question failed. The intention yeah. was to find a positive end to the episode, given that we're still second <laughs> yeah. in the league and played four best. of last season's <laughs> tops, uh, or four of the traditional big six already.
I felt like I, I just dribbled past three players and squared it to Darwin Nunez with an open goal and just didn't didn't get the assist. But you know, never mind, never mind. You I'm positive. You guys. have known me the 31 years I've been on this earth. When have I ever been happy? When have I ever been happy? And I think that is a great note to end this episode. Guys, thank you very much. I hope everyone's listened. Follow us on Twitter, Plus Dave Podcast. Email us at plusdavepodcast at gmail.com. I hope you'll be around for next week where we'll be talking about the Wolves game and many, many more things. And hope you've enjoyed this one. Stay classy, Spurs fans. We'll see you next time.